bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. You're listening to Spotlight, a show that takes place around big announcements, at conferences, in the hallways, and behind the scenes. It's about getting out and having meaningful conversations with real people in the community. It's Changelog in the Trenches, shining our spotlight. Welcome to our first Spotlight series recorded at OSCON London 2016. I'm Jared Santo, Managing Editor of Changelog. Sid Brandage, the CEO of GitLab, was on the Changelog recently discussing GitLab's master plan and a new style of development they call conversational development. I sat down with Sid at OSCON to see how they're doing executing that plan, and we also discussed the recent controversy around GitLab and the removal and subsequent reposting of security research data. I think you'll enjoy hearing how Sid turns everything into an opportunity as much as I did. Take a listen. Good. You have got nice setup here. Like, this yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. We had, had good turnout. The hardest part about doing these things is like getting people to actually sit down. Yeah. Because like certain people are intimidated or they have no idea what the changelog is. I, I love the changelog and like I got so many positive reactions to the last yeah. podcast. It's just insane. It's the most responses to a media thing ever. Like, that's awesome. People that apply to the company because of that uh, that's, podcast. That's really cool. Well, I think you did very well on it. And I think, you know, you guys have a lot to say at GitLab. And so I think that resonated very well with our listeners. Um, but yeah, we're always excited when like, you know, listen counts are one thing or whatever. But like when people actually do things based on like the shows that we put on, it's pretty cool. We had Corey Doctorow on kind of leading up to this. And, there, and he had like a pretty strong, strong call to action at the end. And there was like a half a dozen people that like signed up for the EFF, like specifically because of him on the show, you know? Yeah, that's, that's cool, cool feeling. Uh, the EFF, that was my first donation ever. Was it? I know, I printed it out and put it on my... <laughs> like, yeah, man, be proud about it. So when we had you on the show, uh, you, we were talking about your master plan and conversational development, uh, which is a very interesting thing that I feel like it's kind of catching on as... Is it's kind of like slapping a name on something we were already doing, which is smart. Yep. yep. Don't you think so? Yeah. It's, <laughs> okay. Try to trying to brand whatever what, yeah, what we see happening. Which is a already. smart business move, I think, for GitLab, and also helpful because we're kind of already doing this, and now we can call it something, which is always nice. Um, since then, you guys have had a release. You were talking about it was. Uh, tell me about the big release. I, I'm gapping on it. We had a big release, but the most important thing is that we we started executing on what we what we showed. Okay. So we revealed the master plan and we showed this montage of how things should work. Right. And it really energized us and we said, okay, what we're gonna do every day for half an hour, we're gonna get at this group of people and we're gonna do nothing else and try to make this thing real. Um, so lots of people have been working really hard awesome. to make it a reality. And now we're basically a month later and we had two weeks of just making little improvements every day. Uh-huh. And like 80% of, of what we envisioned is there. It's now, it's not yet all shipped, but it's in the product. Yesterday I gave a, a demo here. We're sitting opposite the booth of Red Hat, the OpenShift booth. Right. We installed GitLab on OpenShift and then we demo chat ops to create an issue planning that issue in with the, like the Trello kind of issue right. board 
open up a coding environment, so you press a button, you get a terminal in your container. Nice. Doing the CI, it auto-scales on the container scheduler, doing CD and doing and seeing it in cycle analytics. And I can I can demo that without like with a with a plain vanilla OpenShift installation within 20 minutes. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's, that had to feel pretty good. It, it felt really good, <laughs> uh, and 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 we kind of surprised ourselves how fast we're making uh, we're making progress. That's awesome. The only thing we're still uh, thinking about is like the online IDE, and uh, what's giving us pause is that people seem really attached to their editors. Yeah. So where first we thought it's going to be something in the browser, now I'm thinking like, I don't want to be the one that tells people to give up TextMate or Sublime or yeah. people very enthusiastic about VS Code and Atom. Right. So maybe we should just sync Integrate. the file system from the container to the local client. So that's that's the path. That's we're a on decent right now. You remember Heroku started off as an online editor. Do you remember that? And they were way early on it. Yep. And they had like this whole integrated environment in the web. And that was probably heck, that could have been 10 years ago now. Um, they moved away from it for reasons that I think the web wasn't quite ready for that kind of tech. I think the web's there as far as doing what you want to do in the browser. But also people wanted to develop, you know, local. Like they they like their like you said, they like their editors, they like their own terminals. I feel like an online editor is like a nice to have for like, I'm just gonna which you may already have this, like I'm just gonna update this readme or whatever. Like a decent file editor inside of GitLab is good, but I think you're onto something with syncing the file system or you know integrating into editors and having tight integration into all the different popular ones. Yeah, yeah. So GitLab has an uh, has an editor. It's not a development environment. It's just editing it's the file. Editing That's like file. autocomplete for your H1 HTML tags. Right. Th there are so many awesome solutions for online editors and and like coding has a great product and yeah. we're working to integrate with them uh, even closer. And there's like there's Code Envy, there's Cloud9, awesome Dutch people just got bought by uh, by Amazon. Right. Uh, it's there's there's all these solutions out there, but when I when I hear developers, they, they never say like I want to use a browser editor, but they are complaining like yeah I have too little memory on my machine. My CPU gets hot and my battery drains when I'm running my tests. Um, it's kind of annoying to like have to boot up an entire like Elasticsearch cluster to properly test my dev environment. Yeah, and, and we want to. It used to be that you just had parity between your like pre-production environment and your production environment, but I think with container schedulers, we should go all the way. We should go. Your dev environment is similar to the production environment, and yeah. that means it runs just that hot. It will need as many resources, right? And we're not going to do that on your laptop. It, it doesn't make sense. It should be in the cloud. Yeah. So you want that in the cloud, but I'm not sure you want the editor uh, there. Um, it's super hard to do, and if you get really down to it, that online editor it should. Do stuff like autocomplete. It's super hard to do. Um, Code Envy's done a great job with uh, Eclipse J. It has like an API to do those look-ahead things because then you query the file system for right. like, what else is there. We we think that's hard to do, and yeah. we were into the boring solutions business. So we think, why not dump it down and just it's a file editor. We, we just get the files out to your editor. Yeah. And do that, but have all the stuff running back on that container scheduler. 
switching topics a little bit, you were recently in the, the news, um, using air quotes, because it's like developer, it's like hacker news, basically. Uh, not for a feature release, but for a bit of a controversy around some scientific research that was published on GitHub and GitLab, and you guys took it down, and then you reversed your decision, and you were very, you spoke very plainly about it. Can you tell that story from your perspective? Yeah, of course. So, um, Saturday morning, I woke up, and uh, I saw a lot of chat going on in our internal chat channels, like, oh, people are don't seem to be happy about our decision. Yeah. And I, uh, I looked at what it was, and it was a guy called Willem de Groot uh, that published research, and he, he disclosed over a thousand vulnerable servers. And then he complained that we removed it. And my initial reaction was, of course, we removed that. Right. Like, you, sh you should do, you shouldn't disclose that to the internet first. You should disclose it to uh, the people that have the affected server and give them time to patch. Yeah. But two strange things. I know this guy. He, he ran, uh, oh, yeah. or he runs an internet hosting provider in the Netherlands called Byte. Uh, really good uh, Magento hosting. Uh huh. And what he did is there was more nuance to it because he wasn't just trying to warn the owners of the server. He was trying to warn users of those servers because these were effective uh, web shops. I think they were Magento shops, not totally sure. But if you go there and you leave your credit card details, they, those details will get skimmed because these servers were, had, were rooted and, and had malware on yeah. them. So it was more complicated. And we, uh, we looked into it and we said, okay, what weighs heavier? The interest of those owners that they get time to like figure out what's going on and not have reputational damage. And yeah. there were root codes on those servers, so it would be easy for another person to like add additional malware, or the interest of the users uh, that should be protected. And we figured the interest of the user uh, weight heavier. It's not so likely that everyone like will add this list of service to like the ETC host file right, or something. Right, blacklist them. But it is, by, by publishing it, they're putting more pressure on these people to fix their servers. And that's what started happening. 650 servers were fixed since publishing the thousand names. So there was an acceleration in, in people fixing their stuff. Yeah. So we reversed the decision. Uh, the, the first thing, I, I gave Willem a call, apologize that we took his list down. Uh, he was kind enough to uh, walk over somewhere where he had internet access and tweeted about it. And we did a small blog post, and uh, that was well received. It trended to number one on Hacker News. Yeah. And uh, someone in the comments said, I now have to apply to GitLab. They're doing <laughs> such, such a great thing. So. Were you surprised by that level of praise from, from that action? Or maybe it was just refreshing to see. I, it was very happy to see it. Like What you're afraid of is that you'll, you'll correct, but people will only notice your initial takedown and not the reversal. So I was happy that that, that, that also got visibility. Was the initial takedown, was it automated or was it a decision one of your employees made? No, or? It, it was a decision we, yeah. One, you guys made it together? Or? We, we, we talked about it internally. We made that decision, yeah. and uh, yeah, we, we we considered. We just thought this is a, a a responsible disclosure issue, and there are clear policies about that. We subscribe to responsible disclosure. Yeah. So if people are not doing that, we're we're not gonna facilitate. Was this something that you foresaw, like when you started GitLab, like that you have, because like you want to. I mean, 
you want to be spending your days either like making sales or making the product better, or, you know, forwarding the, the thing. But but now you're dealing with controversies around something other people are doing. You didn't ask for this kind of a. But did you see it? You know, this was going to be the case, like when you got going. Yeah. If if you're gonna run a .com that is for like content hosting, and we have now even GitLab pages uh, right. where you can use any like static site generator and host your site. We're gonna have people hosting stuff that will be controversial, right? And um, there are no clear guidelines. Some things are very clearly not okay. Some things are very clearly okay. Yeah. There's this gray line, and and there's you looked at all kinds of policies and formulas, but there's no clear-cut thing. So right. it's on a case-by-case -case basis sometimes. So did you track the? Uh, this is somewhat related, and you'll see why in a second. But you track the story around the Dash developer and the Apple Store, the App Store recently, Yeah. how they were, he was taken out of the App Store because he had a linked account that had some uh, fraudulent, uh, what do you call them, reviews, fraudulent reviews. And Dash is a great application, and the kind of the developer you know, community said, what's up with that, Apple? You know, there's more to the story than all that, but the point that I want to kind of thread through is, like Phil Schiller, like that got all the way up to Phil Schiller, who's like VP of marketing and like he's a C-level executive, right? He was like, he became involved. Like that was the kind of decision that made it all the way up to him. And it seems like there's a, I don't know, it almost seems like there's a fault in their system if that kind of thing, I mean, they're huge, right? So like if that kind of a decision, a small, in the context of Apple, right? A small kind of a marketing app store problem is being dealt with by Phil Schiller. Uh, Y'all are much smaller, but is you know this came up to you, and you know is there a time where it's not your best use of your time to be making these kind of decisions? Now I, I think at your current size it's totally legit, but you have thoughts about that? Like, what's the best use of my time today? Look, I, I think these kind of things. You can see them as a problem. You can also see them as an opportunity. And it sounds pretty corny. <laughs> but it turned into actually an opportunity, didn't it? Yeah, it turned out, look, it's not like we're taking down stuff just so we can apologize for it later. But I like, tell your buddy, you're like, hey, put up something <laughs> controversial, and then I'll let's, let's, <laughs> let's stage a controversy. <laughs> stage, we're not into that business. But every time there is a controversy, People will look and they'll yeah. see how long does it take you and, and are you doing the right thing? And we, uh, we were talking about this yesterday and, and there was this, um, someone remarked like, we should make sure that when we're out there commenting on stuff that we have like a unified voice as GitLab. And then we talked about it more, but a unified voice means you have to coordinate yeah. internally before you take any action. And that's going to drastically like slow down your speed of iteration. And our values are around transparency and openness. So I said it's it's more it's better to just go out there and have the real conversation right where it's happening, whether that's on Hacker News, whether that's on our public issue tracker. And I hope that when people see GitLab team members openly disagreeing, being kind to one another, but being direct, that will be a better thing yeah. than coming up with this prepackaged statement two, year, two days down the road, right. like we're not going to do this or we're going to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it will bite us from time to time, yeah. but that's what we're going for. We'll just go out there and we'll say what we think, yeah. and, and it's not a unified voice, it's, it's one, over 120 individuals, right. 
and you can see us disagreeing also on our issue tracker. <laughs> but hopefully you can Everything see you guys us. do is so public. Yeah, ho- so hopefully, public. yeah. Hopefully it's always kind and respectful, and, yeah. and and we try to like find find the best solution together based on data. So let's talk about OzCon for a minute. According to your guys' booth over there, this is like your first stop in the GitLab, what do you call it, the world tour? Yeah, exactly. So you guys are like out in full force, you got a huge booth, you got lots of people here from the team. Tell, tell us about OzCon and your support for conferences. And- yeah, so OzCon is is our, our favorite conference. Uh, the big one, of course, is in the US. I think it's like 10 times bigger than this one. But uh, it's it's great, like all the open source projects are here and it's it's fun. Like. We're growing pretty fast, so some of the team members have never seen other team members before, so this was the yeah. first time. And then they man, uh, they, they, they are in a booth, and they're like, three people came up to me and said, we love GitLab. Like, yeah. that That's didn't cool, right? happen at their previous work, so there, there's a lot of love for open source and open core companies yeah. here, and that's, that's great to see. Sid, thanks so much for sitting down with me, this is fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again to our friends at O'Reilly for the awesome working partnership at OzCon London 2016. We'll see you again, OzCon, in 2017 in Austin, Texas. And if you want to save some money on that ticket, if you're going, use the code CHANGELOG20 to save 20% off your registration to OzCon 2017 in Austin, Texas. For more episodes like this, head to changelaw.com spotlight. Click subscribe. Don't miss a show. And thanks for listening. Thank you.